0: Your positive, positive. positive. Imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere.
1: People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint.
2: Well, hello. This is Catherine, your host of the Global Variety Show. Your positive imprint. We are celebrating Veterans Day here in the United States, so there's lots of activities taking place celebrating men and women in the armed forces. And wherever you're listening from around the globe, thank you for joining me. Welcome to my series on technology and farming around the world. Last week I featured water, breath, fire, the art of sustainable glass blowing with bicycle glass. Today I am featuring Andrew Bracken, Global Food Security, does it really exist? But first, (laughs) I am celebrating my 50th full episode of this podcast. So not including bonus episodes, but my 50th full episode. I can't believe it's already the 50th. So I'm celebrating those positive imprints that inspire us across the continents. They're all available for free on my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. Check them out. I have links there to iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, and other podcast podcast platforms. Thank you for listening from your favorite platform during your baking, driving, cleaning, gardening, and making your own positive imprints. Well, I've chosen a couple of comments to share with you today. And the first is from Maria A.T. Great stories you never heard. Fun stories from interesting people. Each episode I've listened to grabbed my attention and made me want to know more about these people. A breath of fresh air and makes you think there are a lot of positive imprints out there. Maybe even someone you know. Well, Maria, I agree. And this next comment is from Christopher Yo Money. (laughs) Excellent and uplifting podcast. I stumbled upon the podcast and can honestly say it is just what I need for an uplifting podcast. It is not your typical self-care podcast full of quotes and fluff to make you feel better about yourself. It is real-life stories from throughout the world that show that there is good in the world and it is worth fighting for. Every episode has a different guest telling their story. These are stories that really matter. The world, at times, can seem dark, but these stories tell us that even darkness must pass, and when the sun shines, it shines out the clearer. These guests had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They were holding on to the belief that light will ultimately drive out darkness. Love will drive out hate. The host, Catherine, does an excellent job in letting the stories tell themselves, and reminding listeners that sometimes... All you need is a positive imprint to change your point of view. Well, Christopher, yo money, thank you so much for your comment. That was really awesome. Thank you for all of your comments. And of course, thank you for listening to your positive imprint. What's your PI? Well, today's guest is Andrew Bracken, and he creates public and private partnerships to invest in sustainable agriculture for small farmers across the globe. He collaborates with entities across the continents. It's about global food security on a planet where climate change is affecting food supplies. Today, he discusses farming in Africa. Well, I'm sitting here with the Brackens, and I had actually interviewed Andrew quite a while ago and then soon after that you married my niece Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rachel. So I have Rachel Ann Bracken and Andrew Bracken. I am doing a follow-up episode with you because I have received several emails from people all over the world who have asked that you talk about two different countries in which you're doing your partnership, your Feed the Future, partnering for innovation. And I was really excited to get that feedback. So hello, Andrew. Hello, Rachel. Morning. (laughs) And welcome back to New Mexico. Uh, Thanks.
0: Great to be here.
2: Love it here. Every time. (laughs) Yep. And you are coming down from Washington, Mm D.C. Yes, we are. And you basically just finished your honeymoon... <laughs> it's been like a whole year of honeymoon <laughs> <laughs> we haven't been married year. not yet <laughs> but we've been doing a lot of fun things yeah. it's exciting that you went to Thailand
1: for your honeymoon yeah Thailand, Cambodia and then we did take an extra trip to France to watch the Women's World Cup That was exciting.
2: Yeah. But you've seen so much and you've been to these countries where I know that Andrew, that's not his area of work. You really engrossed yourself in the culture. So tell us just a little bit about your honeymoon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think one of our favorite days of getting to know the Thai culture and getting to know the local side of things was um, when we took a cooking class in Chiang Mai and Andrew's a little bit more used to different markets and the hectic side of markets in different countries Uh, but sometimes I can get intimidated in those situations so it was really nice to meet um, our instructor our cooking instructor who showed us everything in the, the market and then she took us back to her home And she taught taught us how to cook a lot
2: of her local dishes. Oh, that is exciting! So, have you made one yet? Well, (laughs) no. I
0: I think we still need to host a a dinner. We
1: still need to host a dinner. Yeah, (laughs) host it for yourself. Yes, (laughs) Yes. put those skills to practice. Um, But but it was really awesome to meet such a young. I want to call her an entrepreneur because she basically started this business, but she's only 21 and now she's on TripAdvisor and hosting people from all over the world. We had people from the Netherlands in our class, people from Australia in our mm-hmm. class, and yeah. um, she was in charge of it all.
0: Yeah, there was even a, a guy from China who was yes. trying to start his own business. So he was seeing how these professionals were doing it in Thailand. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> oh, that's
0: so neat. Yeah. I love
2: yeah. it when the circle just keeps going <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and people learn from each other's positive imprints mm-hmm. and
1: wait tell them how you knew what this guy from China
0: <laughs> so I, I had been to China a couple years ago in grad school on a two-week trip and we started chatting and I asked him where he was from and you know I kind of wanted to push him like where like what city you know be more specific and he, he said the city and I was like oh I've been there and he's <laughs> like really and I was like yeah um just Wild chance. Do you happen to know this friend of mine from grad school who had been a a Peace Corps teacher there at the local university? And he was like, yes, Christina, she was my English teacher.
2: What a small world. And this guy was in,
0: in Chiang Mai,
2: in Chiang Mai, in Thailand, in
1: our cooking
0: class.
2: It really
1: has been a year of adventure. We've been making a lot of weekend trips, a lot longer trips and seeing, uh, A lot of new things on the East Coast for me.
2: Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, let's get started with Feed the Future partnering for innovation. Let's just have a quick review and, and explain what Feed the Future is.
0: Sure. Thanks, Catherine. So, Feed the Future was President Obama's initiative to positively affect food security in the developing world. And the program that I work on, Feed the Future, Partnering for Innovation, is a program that invests in smallholder agriculture. We work with the private sector to provide agricultural services and products to smallholder farmers. The idea that these will increase their incomes and make their lives better. Um, So we've been going for almost eight years now, and we've worked in around 20 countries and we've reached more than a million farmers worldwide.
2: That is so wonderful. And explain what you do with the farmers and with the universities.
0: Sure. So within Partnering for Innovation, we have we've had about sixty public private partnerships and, and those partnerships have been with private sector agribusinesses, with universities, with um, nonprofit, non governmental organizations. And it can it runs the gamut really. We've done everything from livestock insurance to different types of seeds to different types of fertilizers to natural pesticides so we've really really touched on everything within the agricultural system.
2: Okay and now according to what listeners are have been asking for they would love to hear about one or two countries specifically as to what you do whom you meet with and kind of really detail it. So which country are we going to start with? <laughs>
0: sure, that's that's great. So actually since our last uh, conversation, we've launched some new work and we're working in resiliency, which is a farmer's ability to overcome shocks, whether those are you know flooding or um, a drought or things like that. So we're, we're trying to work in products and services that allow farmers to recover and not have their entire savings and livelihood wiped out by one storm or one Uh, disease that kills some of their animals so through that we've launched five new partnerships and I'm managing several of them in Kenya and so I think I'd like to focus on on one or two of those if that's okay
2: that is fabulous I I love that the program is moving ahead and forward that means the funding is there and Mm -hmm. and obviously this program has been such a positive thing worldwide Mm -hmm. for families
0: sure so I think I'd like to focus on the livestock insurance that I alluded to earlier. So we've been working with a livestock or an insurance company based in Kenya, and it it's primarily catering to the um, Islamic insurance market. So in northern, northern Kenya, most people are Muslim. And in Islam, there are certain rules about investments and insurance. So they needed a specific company to to make insurance products that were allowed within within Islam. And in, the, in Northern Kenya, those are the like, semi-arid lands where the, instead of farming crops, people are primarily herders. And the, this insurance product is basically protecting um, farmers against drought. So, so what unfortunately happens a lot of times is there's a drought, farmers don't have the money to move their animals, and sadly they end up being diseased or, or end up dying. So what this insurance product does, it uses satellite imagery. Um, to determine if there are drought conditions. If it determines drought conditions, it pays out to the farmer. And then the farmer is able to use that money to buy feed for their animals, to buy water, or to herd them to uh, a place where there's more pasture and more water. And to complete this partnership, we also have an NGO that has developed an app that identifies where there is available pasture and water. So it's kind of like Google Maps for, for pasture. So a farmer can open up his or her smartphone, find that pasture, and go directly there using the money that's been paid out from the insurance or without that money, if they if they sense that they need to find better opportunities for their animals.
2: Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, this is really, really interesting. Who runs the satellite?
0: so these the satellites are run by NASA and the European Space Agency, and then there's a um, an institution in Kenya, which is, Um, interpreting that data and has built an algorithm that that shows whether or not there there's available pasture in that in that area for each each individual um, pastoralist it's very high-tech it's beyond my technical knowledge um, but it's very accurate and um, is updated once a week or so
2: how do you get the data where does it come from from the people that are deciphering this from the satellite how do you get that
0: So, so the, the data comes from the satellite and then this institution called Ilri has, has an algorithm and it, it manages what's called the index. And the index is what determines if based on the satellite data, there's a lack of, of pasture. And so that is then fed into the insurance company, the insurance company then determines if it's in, I believe the, the bottom 20th percentile and then those farmers who are in that bottom 20th percentile receive a payout uh, proportional to the investment they've put into the insurance product.
2: And then they move their livestock.
0: Mm-hmm. And and they use mobile money, so the farmer doesn't have to apply for this for this payout. If the insurance company, together with ILRI, determine that the pasture is lacking, that farmer automatically receives a mobile money payout into his or her phone.
2: So then they have to, the farmer has to be, um, has to have this app, Mm -hmm. and wow, this is, so technology is really being used all over the world, including these areas. How they're going to move livestock, how many are we talking?
0: So when I was in Kenya last year in December, I visited um, two farmers who are using this insurance product, and they each had about 200 camels. So we're talking pretty large herds. I mean, you can you can insure a single goat or you can insure 200 camels. It it's up to you, whatever, whatever you're able to insure. And so, so these herders, they have traditional knowledge passed on through generations of, you know, which areas tend to have good pasture in a certain month where there are watering holes, where there are other, other groups of people, they don't necessarily get along with. And so they use that. But the problem today is with climate change, there's less and less pasture. There's less and less water. And so all the other, all the other groups as well are migrating to non-traditional areas. So this app provides them updated information. So they may have an idea, oh, I should go, you know, a hundred kilometers northwest, but they can check on the app and say, actually, there's no pasture there right now. So maybe we'll go in a different direction.
2: Is there anything that the Kenyans are doing as far as climate change?
0: You know, climate change is affecting these farmers every day. They're probably the, the leading edge of, of who's noticing uh, climate change. So it's, it's hard, and we're trying to, through Partnering for Innovation, we're trying to provide farmers with tools to mitigate the impact of climate change mm-hmm. because the changes are happening so, happening so rapidly, it's hard for them to adjust. They, they're sort of at a loss. You know, they've seen livestock losses go through the roof recently. Oh, for example, the Kenyan government, to answer your question, is providing this livestock insurance to very small-scale uh, herders who have fewer than 10 goats, essentially. And so that's one way that the, the government is stepping in to help mitigate this this crisis. For
2: small farmers, for family mm-hmm. businesses.
0: Exactly. And then we're working more on the commercial side with this um, livestock insurance company to, to work with farmers who may have a little bit more money to pay out of pocket.
2: And. Do you, do you see, like a, like in the United States, mm-hmm. in Europe, we see, and in Canada, we see lots and lots of lobbying by scientists, and maybe not so much the scientists because they're still trying to get their research, but they're providing the research to policymakers mm-hmm. and to the public so that we can start making decisions on how to slow it down. Mm-hmm. Do you see these farmers out there doing anything to talk to their government, to get word out to the world that, hey, you know, we're being affected.
0: There are uh, farmers organizations and organization, you know, kind of industry organizations that are are working with the government, you know, and the government of Kenya has, has a plan called the Big Four Agenda. And one of the four pillars of that is in agriculture. So as a highly agricultural country, uh, the Kenyan government is very aware of what's going on and trying to to do its best um it's unfortunate because these developing countries relatively speaking are not contributing that much to the to climate global, change yes. but they're feeling the effects <laughs> right. much worse
2: and so what are the four pillars you said
0: so I'm, I'm i may screw this up but one has to do with agriculture one has to do with education one has to do with affordable housing and i believe the fourth has to do with um, manufacturing um, industrialization, things like that. So forgive me if I if I messed any of those up.
2: <laughs> for me, and for many people, it really is my, not mind-blowing, but it's an eye-opener when we hear stories like this about the farmers in Kenya, and you're right, you said something so strikingly important, and that is that their their carbon footprint is not <laughs> ours and other places in the world. And I remember you said something that really stuck with me, and that is when you were talking about Guatemala. You, you mentioned in Guatemala that they have been planting, and I think it was a corn seed, they've been planting this seed for centuries and centuries and centuries, and now it's not growing because of climate change. So the university has had to do some research on you know, what seed can we use that's going to grow in these changing climates, and it is rapid. Let's continue on with, with Kenya. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked with climate change. Sure. But it is something that's obviously hitting mm-hmm. your program.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can move to another one of our partnerships in Kenya, which is... Um, so we're working with a company, with an African seed company, um, and it's producing a sorghum seed for the smallholder market. And and sorghum is also, also an important crop uh, with climate change because... In recent centuries, Kenyan farmers have planted maize, corn, uh, for their their staple crop. But with climate change, the rains are are less predictable, and so farmers have had to to look for other crops. And sorghum compared to maize has a shorter uh, maturation period, it uses less water, it's less susceptible to disease. So this is a really great crop to be working in. So we're working with this company that has a new variety, two new varieties actually, that they're promoting to farmers and they are higher producing than than the traditional varieties and and to your point about about how climate change is happening so quickly, farmers need kind of a a boost and and a company like this, which has high research capabilities, is able to produce a more appropriate seed uh, so farmers can adjust to climate change faster than they they would by traditionally selecting seeds as they have hmm. uh, throughout the the millennia.
2: Wow. Now, Rachel Ann really got a smile on her face when he started talking about this seed. So, what was that smile for? Oh, well, we've uh,
1: taken some of this shorghum Mm -hmm. home with us and made made several dishes. I personally really like it. (laughs) Um, We eat a lot of vegetarian, partly to decrease our impact um, on climate change and decrease our global footprint. But um, yeah, it's been a pretty tasty addition, (laughs) I think, to Mm -hmm. our vegetarian meals during the week. Uh, We also went to this upscale bougie restaurant in DC one, one day for a night out and they served popped shore gum as their little appetizer. Oh so if the hip upscale DC restaurants are into it, then <laughs> everybody's going to be pretty into it. <laughs> oh, what does it look like Rachel? It, it looks very similar to popcorn. Um, mm. Little different taste but but yeah, I think I think it could really uh, take its place on the main stage as a nice snack food.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, now that if my niece is using it I left yeah. law that I'm going to have to try. Yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Andrew, mm-hmm. you have that going on in kenyan
0: yeah so so for us that's a really exciting partnership because sorghum you know as as rachel pointed out it may be the next quinoa or other super grain but for for kenyan farmers they've traditionally planted it and eaten it. It's more nutritious than maize. Um, you can feed it to your animals as well. And one of the big markets uh, now is in brewing because it's cheaper than barley, which has uh, traditionally been used in, in Kenyan breweries. Uh, it's also gluten-free. So your gluten-free beer that you drink, it might be made from sorghum. Oh, we'll So you may already be, be consuming up. it. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, we're, we're very excited about about this partnership. So we're hoping to reach about 20,000 new farmers and the the market price is much higher than maize. And we just think that it, it has the opportunity to really improve the livelihoods for these 20,000 farmers and their families.
1: Wow. Yeah, I love hearing these stories about what's going on in different parts of the world. And you have really great interactions with the farmers. Um, I know you have to sit behind a spreadsheet most days but the days where you get to get out there and meet the people behind the spreadsheet that's a a really really fun experience
2: very rewarding let's i want to hear the listeners would love to hear about a couple of your experiences we we've heard you know about one some of the experiences the last time but not in kenya
0: sure so maybe if we could jump back to the to the livestock insurance okay so we were in in isiolo county in uh, kind of northern Kenya, north of Nairobi, and we drove and drove and drove out into, out into this kind of scrubland, and eventually we we saw these two these two farmers who had you know almost five hundred camels between them, and they were camped out near each other, and one of the one of the gentlemen was very excited about our visit and very excited for me to go into the camel pen and hang out with the camels which for me i would never been around them and they're massive animals and kind of intimidating (laughs) but so we went there and they were very gentle and he said ah you you have to have camels milk i'm like not not feeling super confident about this but he he has one of the herders go go to one of the camels and milk it and he insisted that I, that I drank a tall, frothy cup of fresh (laughs) Campbell's (laughs) milk. And this is right before I have six to eight hour drive straight to the airport to head back to the U.S. So I was not, not wanting to offend, to offend this, this gentleman. I drank it. It was actually pretty good. I would drink it again. Um, and I know it's nutritious and it, And it actually makes a huge impact on these, on these pastoralist communities. It's, you know, a high value product and it's nutritious and, and you know, it it wasn't too bad on my stomach either. So that's good after
2: considering you had that drive. Do they use it just for the milk or do they also use them as they sell them for pack animals or?
0: So these, these uh, pastoralists from what I understand in addition to selling the, the milk, they also use the camels for meat they're, I believe they use them for, hi, for their hides as well, and, and yeah, they, are, they, they could be useful as pack animals as well. So They're extremely hardy animals, they yes. can walk for hundreds and hundreds of, of miles, uh, don't need much water, don't need much. So
2: They are an interesting animal, <laughs> absolutely interesting. And now let's move to another country because we wanted to talk about two separate countries. Mm-hmm. So which other country are you going to choose?
0: let's let's uh, move to a country that's very close to my heart Mozambique so we've been work my part Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation has been working there must be six years now and we currently have one partnership there we we kind of chose a different a different route on on this one we we had been working in individual um, areas and individual crops and other parts of the agricultural system but we we were kind of looking for a way to to knit them all together. Mozambique is a massive country and it has a lot of logistical challenges because of that. So
2: So massive in terms of geography? Mm-hmm.
0: If you can imagine Mozambique is like as as tall as the west coast of the US, so from Mexico to Canada. That's how large Mozambique is. Wow, oh, that is quite large. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's sparsely populated and the road network is is a bit challenging. So we decided to partner with a logistics and distribution company because we wanted to sort of connect the agricultural lands with the um, industrial areas. And so we're we're working with this logistics and distribution company with the idea that it will establish warehouses in in most of the provincial capitals. And from those, it will distribute agricultural inputs, whether seeds or fertilizers or pesticides into last mile areas, the, so the more rural areas that are unreached currently. And then with those trucks, those empty trucks, they'll bring out the agricultural production from those same farmers and then bring bring that production into, you know, food processors or animal feed processors and, and hopefully kind of unite the entire country, whereas uh, now it's sort of on a province to province uh, level.
2: They're really trying to move forward with all of this and work together
0: mm-hmm.
2: as one big community. Mm-hmm. Wow, we could learn from that.
0: Yes, and and so this this recently has become even more important to have a a really uh, high level uh, dis, uh, distribution logistics network. Within the last year, Mozambique has been hit by by two devastating uh, tropical cyclones, Idai and Kenneth, and Idai in particular was extremely destructive for the central region of Mozambique it hit um, around near harvest time and it actually wiped out approximately half of uh, Mozambique's cereal production so it was incredibly incredibly devastating and um, you know more than a thousand people lost their lives and and so we're working with this this logistics company to try to figure out how we can how we can get seeds to those farmers how we can get food aid to those farmers uh, how we can get construction materials to them because everything they had was wiped out.
2: So they're starting literally literally from scrap. Mm-hmm. And so were you able to go out there and work with the people?
0: So far, I've been watching from the sidelines. I've ever seen a lot of photos um, and had a lot of conversations with with people on the ground, but we're we're hopefully going to have some more more funds to to work directly on on disaster relief in Mozambique but we've laid the groundwork in our previous uh, partnerships to, to be able to respond to this, this disaster. And that's, the, that's kind of part of the whole point of what we're doing is to, to strengthen Mozambique at a country level to respond to shocks like these.
2: Especially since the country's government is wanting to work with their community as a whole, and, which being such a large community, mm-hmm. and then having two cyclones within the same and they were within the same few months. Mm-hmm, yeah. That is so devastating. And so now you're going in there and working with that, how much longer before you find a seed that's actually going to be able to be planted out there?
0: So we're we're coming upon a critical point. The the cereal season, so maize and soy and things like that, that that passed. That that season was missed. But there's Because a, of the cyclone? Because of the because of the cyclone and um, and just yeah, where it, where it hit in the, in the agricultural season. But in December, we have the opportunity to hit the secondary season, which is more for horticulture. So you have your, you know, vegetables and and things like that. And there may be some other crops that have a shorter maturation period or even, even sorghum, which, which doesn't need that much, that much water. So, so do they
2: grow sorghum out there?
0: Not traditionally it's traditionally a maize producing uh, belt in that that part okay. of the country but we're you know we're hopeful that that farmers will be able to plant whatever whatever seeds are available to them i mean it's it it really is a life and death situation
2: in december mm mm-hmm the horticulture is going to be or the seeds anyway they're going to try that and then they'll be able to market it so that they can help pay for their own bills and pay for education
0: mm-hmm. that's that's the hope and you know there have been a lot of other organizations coming in the UN NGOs um etc so you know hopefully hopefully we'll be able to respond but there are you know millions of mozambicans who are who are going to need a lot of help because they have lost everything
2: uh, how does the satellite help this situation or does it
0: um, I'm not. I'm not exactly certain how how they're using satellite uh, information there. I'm sure that that it is helpful to see which areas have been have been wiped out more than others and which have recovered. Um, because as such a massive country with a you know limited communications network, it does help to have an eye in the sky to see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase.
2: <laughs> so, what does the future hold for you now? I know that you do Africa, and I know that you do South America and Latin America. So what what does the future hold?
0: Sure. So I'm planning on going back to Kenya and, and checking in on, on the companies that we're working with there. Um, we're also working with a coffee producer, so that will be really interesting as well. Planning on getting back to Mozambique and, and working with the logistics and distribution company. And, you know, it could be we, like, as you mentioned, we have significant work in Latin America in coffee and maize, in um, like lettuce, potatoes, things like that. So, so either either my colleagues or I will be out there um, trying to trying to work on that.
2: Yeah. Well, good luck with all of this. You are doing such. In fact, this this innovative project is absolutely wonderful because it's. It's Feed the Future, but it's global food security. I just love what you do. And Andrew, Rachel Ann. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Rachel? No, I'm super proud to hear your stories and be married to you and uh, talk with you about everything we can do in the world every day. So, thank you. Yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> I'm glad those cows worked. <laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew, Rachel Ann, thank you so much for sharing your positive imprints here on Your Positive Imprint.
0: Thank you, Catherine.
2: Thanks, this was so much fun. Wow. Thanks, Andrew and Rachel. Wow, I love doing a variety show. Well, next week, I continue my series on technology and farming around the world. Music by Chris Knoll. Check him out at chrisknoll.com and also check him out at Spotify. He's composed some more music and that is available. Check out my website, yourpositiveimprint.com and sign up for email updates and learn more about the show. Thanks for listening to this free podcast. Please continue supporting me with positive comments, downloading those episodes, and hit that follow or subscribe button now. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.